Today's scripture reading comes to us from John 6, verse 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Because they saw the signs of that he was doing on the sick, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said to this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men, sit so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves. When he, had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving them that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a time of prayer once more. God, we commit this time to you. And we pray and ask that we have mercy upon our souls at this time. And through your spirit, would you illumine our hearts and minds so that we may be able to receive this word in faith and that it will fall on good soil and that it will bear fruit in our lives. God, we, we're so thankful for another opportunity that you have given us to come together and to be able to worship you. Pray that through this message that we'll be able to see the glory of our beautiful Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We live in a highly consumeristic society. And what's in it for me? You know, how does this benefit me? I think it's fair to say that this is how we operate and this is how we tend to assess every situation, every interaction, and every relationship. To make my uh, point, I would like to show you um, two images. That's the famous um, slogan from Sprite, obey your thirst. Slogans such as these feed into our consumeristic mindsets, right? And I drive another one. It's by uh, Burger King, have it your way, right? And let me read that the message that Burger King is actually trying to convey to consumers like you and me. You have the right uh, to have what you want exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today special and tomorrow's and the day after. And, well, you get the drift. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. See, living and being immersed in a highly consumeristic society 
puts us at a serious disadvantage spiritually, and it will inevitably affect us spiritually, and there will be spiritual implications. Now, with that in mind, this morning, I would like for us to consider the following three points. Number one, the fickleness of the crowd. Number two, the faithlessness of the disciples. And number three, the greatness of Christ. Let's jump into the first point together, the fickleness of the the crowd. Let me read verses 1 and 2 for us. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. See, as you can see, there was a large crowd that had been following Jesus. And the question is why? I mean, we are told that they have been following him because of all the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he had been performing, right? As a matter of fact, this is the fourth miracle that's recorded in the Gospel of John. The first miracle was in in John chapter 2 where he went to a wedding at Cana. He turned water into wine, right? The second miracle was when he healed a royal official's son, which is mentioned in John chapter 4. And the third miracle was uh, the healing of a man at the pool, which is mentioned in John chapter 5. You know, John goes out of his way to actually tell us um, what, uh, in John chapter 21, 20, uh, verse 25, and this is the last verse of the Gospel of John, and this is what he writes. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Wherever Jesus went, something remarkable, something miraculous took place. I mean, during those days, Jesus was the greatest show in town. Wherever he went, he was the main attraction because of all the miracles and signs and the wonders that he had been performing. And people kept coming to Jesus because they were astonished and amazed at what he would do next. This is why people kept coming, because they didn't want to miss out. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that this large crowd was following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And get this, they didn't come to see Jesus for who he is. They were more interested in seeing what he could do, especially what he could do for them. They weren't disciples, they were spectators. They were religious consumers. See, Jesus was nothing but an entertaining miracle worker to them, and this is what they saw in Jesus, nothing but that. And unfortunately, because of that, they failed to see Jesus' true identity as the glorious Son of God. They They missed the big picture. Now, I do have some questions for all of you. Who is Jesus to you? Why do you follow Jesus? Is it because he's your Lord and Savior? Is it because you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or perhaps you've been following Jesus for all the wrong reasons, just like this large crowd because you're more interested in what he could do for you. Have you been following Christ like a religious consumer? Something to think about. And here's a solemn warning for all of us. Beware of the danger of religious consumerism. And if you're not careful, 
it can easily creep into to your heart. And if you're not careful, it will deeply affect and utterly destroy your Christian life. And this is what Alan Hirsch writes concerning the danger and the impact of religious consumerism. And I quote, you can do more with 12 disciples than you can with 12,000 religious consumers. Also consider these words from Leonard Ravenhill, and I quote, I'd rather have 10 people that want God than 10,000 people who want to play church. And I do believe that Tim Keller absolutely says it best when he writes this, that religious people, consumers, find God useful, whereas Christians find God beautiful. There's a fundamental difference here. And I do believe that how you pray, how we pray, is a good indication of this. What do you usually pray for? What do you usually pray about? What are some things that you find yourselves constantly praying for? Pray for your next job promotion. Maybe you're praying for a job interview that's lined up. I want you to take a moment and think about these things. Perhaps go home and list your prayer requests. And I'm willing to bet a common theme will emerge, and this is what it will be like. It will be list of our needs. Some of them will be even felt needs. We don't even need them, but we feel like we need them, so we go to God as religious consumers, and we keep asking God to give us these things. See, what we pray about reveals what we really care about. I do have another set of questions for you. When was the last time you prayed for the following? For your heart to be utterly captured and captivated by the beauty of the gospel. When was the last time you prayed God, I want to be more and more like you. I want to be able to cherish and treasure you above all things. When was the last time you offered a prayer like that? How about this one? God, I want to be able to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is your love for broken people like us. And to be able to to know this kind of unfailing love of God that surpasses knowledge more deeply. When was the last time we prayed a prayer like that. And this was actually Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, which is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 to 19. When was the last time you offered up a prayer like this, that you would decrease more and more and that Christ would increase more and more in your life, that you will be able to confess, it is well with my soul, even in the midst of deep pain and suffering, that you, would never see, uh, that you would never cease to praise God for who he is. That God alone will be exalted, magnified, and glorified in and through your life. Religious consumers don't pray for those things. Only faithful disciples of Christ do. And it's something to think about. And I do believe that we really need to honestly reflect where we are in terms of our walk with God. You see, there is this waging war within, and we feel this tension and struggle every day, whether you acknowledge it or not. 
And it's the battle between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. I mean, do you guys pray, you know, to, to God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my life and in this broken world? I mean, is the kingdom of God advancing in your own heart, in your life? And this is, will be an ongoing and constant struggle as long as we are living on this side of eternity, right? And Eugene Peterson reminds us that the kingdom of self is a heavily defended territory. And Paul Tripp goes on to, to add, concerning the kingdom of self, the kingdom of self tends to be more focused on what the hands can touch than what the heart should embrace. It's all about our needs, what we want, our felt needs, right? And here's the thing, and I want you to get this, that the stronger you build and fortify your kingdom of self, the more it will drive and fuel and justify your religious consumerism. And we need to be honest about this. You know, where are we in our walk with God? Have we been following him for all the right reasons as faithful disciples? Or have we, be, we been following him for all the wrong reasons? So it's like this large crowd. Because we just want the things that he can give to us. Something to think about, right? Jump into our next point, the faithlessness of the disciples. And this is what the disciples saw. Because the crowds were coming and they had been following and it's time to eat, but obviously there was no food, right? And disciples, knowing what is about to take place, couldn't help but to acknowledge we have a big problem here. There's just way too many people. With children and women including, easily about 25,000 people, right? Too many people, not enough food, and there's no, absolutely nowhere to get food for everyone. And disciples are here, once again, panicking because they don't know what to do. Notice what Jesus says to Philip in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? You know what Philip says to Jesus? Verse 7. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them would get it. We don't even have enough money, Jesus. Where are we going to go get food? We're in the middle of nowhere here. And notice what Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to Jesus in verse 9. Uh, there is a boy who brought his lunch, but what good is that? What are we going to do with this? Because there's just so many people here. As you can see, these are words of doubt coming from the disciples themselves. Notice how Jesus responds to the disciples and their faithlessness. You know what he says in verse 10? Just sit down. Relax. Just sit down. Tell everyone to sit down. See, for the disciples and the crowd, this was one of those, you know, what would Jesus do moments. I mean, they should have known better, right? They had been walking with Jesus every day. I mean, they had just witnessed Jesus turning water into wine. I mean, they had witnessed Jesus healing people, healing the sick. And not every miracle that he performed was mentioned, but 
they were following him every day, and this was, a, this was an everyday thing. Wherever he went, he performed signs and wonders, miracles that point to the signs of the kingdom and his glory. But here, once again, we see the faithlessness of the disciples, and they still don't get it, right? They should have just told each other, just wait, and let's just watch what he does, because we know for a fact that he's able to provide, right? And what does Jesus do? I mean, he takes the five loaves of bread and two fish, and then he ends up feeding the multitudes, right? Everyone ate until they were full, and their food left over. And you know, what is so unfortunate about this situation, the faithlessness of the disciples, right? And the fickleness of the human heart. I mean, they should have responded, Lord, we believe that you are able to provide because you are the son of God. I mean, he happens to be the creator of all things who created everything out of nothing, right? And he sure can feed the multitudes, not a problem. And that's how they should have responded, but no, they're doubting. And then they're asking themselves, you know, what are we going to do here? How are we going to feed everyone? Now, I want us to go to John chapter 1, in the beginning of the gospel. And notice how John begins his gospel, John 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that, uh, anything made that was made. He begins the God, his gospel concerning Christ to point us to his deity, that he is indeed the glorious Son of God. And he goes on in verse 14 of chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He sets the tone as he begins to write the gospel. This is the glorious son of God that we are talking about here. And disciples, they still didn't get it. They weren't 100% sure, even though they had been walking with him on a day-to-day basis. So do you know what Jesus did after he fed the multitudes? And in case the disciples and the crowd, in case they still don't get it, Jesus performs yet another miracle. He reveals his glory to them one more time by doing what? By just casually walking on the water. It's like, guys, I am the glorious son of God. And he was revealing his glory, but they still don't get it. So what does he do? Now he's going to really break it down for them. Now, this is mentioned in, in other parts of John chapter 6, verses 22 to 59. And he goes on to, to tell them that I am the bread of life. Verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But when people heard this, they began to grumble. I mean, they were confused because they didn't get it. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
beginning to unpack this a little bit more so that they will finally get it. But do you know how the crowd and the disciples actually responded even as Jesus, what Jesus was unpacking this for them so that they would understand? Let's read uh, John chapter 6, verses 60 to 67 together. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who those were uh, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? I mean, this is mind-boggling, right? They have been following him. There were eyewitnesses to all the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he had been performing. And these are signs of the kingdom, a glimpse of his glory. Even after seeing this, how can they possibly walk away, right? What happened? They failed to see the glory of Christ, and they failed to see the greatness of Christ. Jump into the, the last point, the greatness of Christ. Verses 14 and 15. Now when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The miracles that Jesus performed throughout the course of, of his ministry were not simply meant to just arouse their minds so that they will walk away after witnessing it. Wow, that was amazing. I'm shocked. I'm astonished. I wonder what he is going to do next. So let me just continue to follow him. That wasn't the purpose. The miracles that Jesus performed throughout the course of his ministry were meant to capture and captivate the hearts of his followers. Through each miracle, Jesus was revealing a glimpse of his glory. And through this very miracle that we see in today's passage, Jesus was indeed showing them a glimpse of his glory as the Son of God. But sadly, this is what the crowd failed to see, and this is what the disciples failed to see. Now the people, they wanted to make Jesus king. Do you know why? Because they realize, wow, he is indeed a miracle worker. And if he could just be our king, he will be able to provide everything that we want and need. So for that reason, he wanted to make Christ their king. But notice how Jesus responds. He eventually walks away from them. Why? Because Jesus knew and saw what was in their hearts. Because Jesus didn't, because they didn't want anything to do with Jesus, who he really was. They're more interested in what Jesus can do for them. They fell in love with his gifts, his stuff, what he can give to them. And this is why they wanted him to make him king, right? 
To them, Jesus was useful. They didn't find Christ to be beautiful. I remember when I was in high school, um, WWJD, you know that phenomenon, what would Jesus do? I'm sure if you grew up in the church, you all walked around at one point with that bracelet, right? What would Jesus do? Maybe some of you still have it. <laughs> and it, w- it was good until it lasted um, because we're sinners. It didn't, didn't really help, right, in the end. But here's the thing. There is this one question that all religious consumers repeatedly ask, and they won't stop. And that question is not, what would Jesus do? But you know what religious consumers do? They turn WWJD into WSJD. What should Jesus do for me, for my needs? And this is what I want him to do. What should Jesus do? And this is when we know for a fact that we're acting more like religious consumers than faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, especially if your prayer life can be summed up by that. Jesus, this is what I want from you. This is what I need from you. And here's my timeline. I want it here. I want it there. Some of these stuff, I want it now. You know, Shine and I, we've been going through a season of deep pain and suffering because um, I'm sure uh, many of you know by now that the Shine has been living with a really rare immune disorder since 2009. And it took us about two years just to find the right diagnosis. And since then, it's, there's, there's been a lot of ups and downs or good days or bad days. A lot has happened. Uh, both good and bad. Um, And when we came to New York, uh, we we got connected with a rheumatologist because we wanted to be able to document um, the progress of just uh, where this tumor that had been growing inside her head was because of the illness that she has. And it's been quite a long time, so we weren't sure what was really happening inside her head. So Shine... uh, received a set of MRI scans in 2016 when we came to NCF, and to our surprise, they came out clean. The tumor that should be there wasn't, wasn't there anymore. So I remember, just, I remember us just, just praising God and, and just thanking God for his faithfulness, even after all that we had been through. And recently, she had another MRI scan, and to our surprise, um, these scans revealed some um, abnormalities, some new developments. Perhaps the tumor might be coming back. Tumor might be growing again. And I mean, it was a crushing blow um, to me because I know um, all the pain and brokenness and, and suffering that, that she had to go through. So I remember being very bitter at God. And the switch went on. I became... Um, and a religious consumer. I went from an, a, a disciple to a consumer, and, and I began praying. And it wasn't, it wasn't even prayer. It was, it, I was just venting at God, like, God, like, don't you know what she's been through since 2009, and now this is coming back again? Like, God, are you serious? 
So I remember just going to God like a good religious consumer and asking God, no more. No more, God. Because I know what this can do to her body. I mean, granted, she already lost her sense of smell and it may never ever come back. And I mean, isn't this enough, God? I want you to heal her like now. And I offer up these prayers like a good religious consumer. And we were also anxious because we weren't sure whether the insurance that the the coverage that we currently have would actually cover, fully cover this treatment that Shine needs. And when we met with the doctor, she told us you may not necessarily get approval for this and then we would have to think about other options. And so I remember being even more frustrated and anxious and angry at God, but but as I was feeling that way, um, we got a call saying that uh, from, from, from the doctor's office that the treatment got approved. And I remember just feeling so um, stupid. <laughs> like, how can I possibly forget, you know, how far we have come? And, you know, looking back, he was with us every step of the way. And he did provide miraculously and opened many doors that, that shouldn't be opened for us, and God has led us up until this point, but because I got so caught up with this one thing which turned me into a religious consumer, I began to point fingers at God, like I want it now, heal her now. So it was an eye-opening moment for me because God did humble me and, and I do still pray for healing. But I'm not sure if that's part of God's plan, to be honest. She may have to receive treatment for the rest of her life. And if that's the case, I pray that God will grant both of us faith to be able to embrace that. But, but as I was being convicted, I also began to ask God for mercy. <laughs> like, God, I know that you are able to heal her. And if that's part of your plan, please heal her as soon as possible. But even if that full recovery does not come ever, help us and help me to be able to pray, God, through this illness, that you will be glorified, that people will be able to find healing, that people will be able to see a glimpse of your glory as we continue to depend on your grace and continue to, to persevere in faith, that you will be glorified and that we will be able to, to make you attractive and beautiful to those around us, especially those who are suffering. I couldn't believe that I was offering up these what should Jesus do for us now prayers. And I wonder how many of us actually do that. When suffering comes, when difficult moments come, the switch goes on, that we forget everything that has happened up until this point. Even though God has been so faithful, we don't remember any of this because we're so caught up in what is in front of us, right? And what we desperately need to remind ourselves of is this, WDJD, what did Jesus do? You know, I heard actually a pastor say this, 
WWJJ, that's not really good because <laughs> we already know <laughs> what he did for us. So it should have been WDJD. They got that messed up theologically, right? WDJD. What did Jesus do? And this is why we need to go back to the gospel and continue to remind ourselves of the beauty of the gospel and continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. Especially in those moments, we find ourselves acting and behaving, thinking more and more like religious consumers rather than a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to turn with me to verse 9. It says, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? See a little boy, he had his lunch. That's all he had. It wasn't much, but he gave it to Jesus in faith. But notice what happens afterwards. Notice what Jesus does with his lunch. He feeds the multitudes. Everyone ate enough and were fully satisfied. And the question is this, what can we learn from this? And I want you to get this. It all depends on whose hands it's in. It all depends on whose hands it's in. If you were to give a brush to Michelangelo, he'll give you the Sistine Chapel. If you give me a brush, I can't do anything for you because I'm not artistic. If you were to give a basketball to Michael Jordan, he'll give you six NBA championships. Give a football to Tom Brady, he'll give you five Super Bowls. You get the point. It all depends on whose hands it's in. Our broken lives, it's in God's hands. And have you really thought about what that really means? Have you? It means this, and this is the promise of the gospel, right? That there's absolutely nothing in this world that can snatch us out of his hands. And there's absolutely nothing in this world that can separate us from his love. Our lives are forever secure in his hands. Hands of a beautiful Savior who loves us with love that is unfailing, everlasting, and unconditional. Who loves us with grace that is so amazing and even scandalous because be broken people like you and me get invited in to his presence, right? And he will remain faithful to you and me until the day of Christ. The work that he began in our lives, he will finish at the day of Jesus Christ. And this is the promise of the gospel, right? Go back to the cross and remember what Jesus did for you and me. And then the question is this. Do you find God useful or do you find God beautiful? That's going to change the way you live your life as a Christian. As a faithful disciple or a selfish religious consumer. Did you know that God not only delights in you and me because we are in Christ, but not only that, God also takes delight, absolute delight in using broken people like you and me 
God works powerfully in and through us and remember that. Perhaps when you look at your own life, all you see is just mess, brokenness. And you feel like you're so unworthy and then there's just not much to offer for the sake of gospel ministry. Maybe that's where you have been for, for a really long time. But what, when God takes hold of you, as a matter of fact, your life, if you're in Christ, your life is in his hands, miracles will t- happen. Amazing things will take place. And he will begin to use you in ways that you wouldn't realize was possible. And through you, he will reveal his glory to the people around you, right? So do you find God useful or beautiful? And brothers, it is because of the fickleness of the human heart and it's because of our lack of faith and because we will continue to go back and forth from being a disciple to a religious consumer, what is our cure? What is our remedy to that? Because this is going to be an ongoing battle. And this is why we need to go back to the gospel. And this is why we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Now, Michael Horton, in his book, Ordinary, this is what he writes, the gospel makes us extrospective, turning our gaze upward to God in faith. Is your gaze fixed on Christ? Have you been beholding the glory of Christ? Do you find Jesus beautiful? Is Christ your beautiful Savior? Is your heart utterly captured and captivated by the beauty of the gospel. Beware of religious consumerism because it dulls our spiritual senses because it stifles our ability to behold the glory of Christ. You know that hymn, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? The chorus goes something like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's ask God to have mercy upon us so that even as we fight our tendency for religious consumerism, that, that by his mercy and grace, as we preach the gospel to ourselves, that we can go deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel because that's the only way so that as we continue to walk with him in this broken life that by his grace and mercy that we will not revert back to what should Jesus do for me moments but no matter what comes our way we will always praise God that we will never ever lose sight of Christ our beautiful Savior Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask for forgiveness. For if we have been living and behaving more like religious consumers, Lord. Father, we do ask for forgiveness and have mercy upon our souls. But God, we are so thankful that you are faithful. And would you continue to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. And help us so that we will continue to fix our eyes upon you, that, that we will be able to continue to behold your glory as we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, Lord. And God, have mercy upon us so that no matter 
what we may be up against, no matter what we may be facing, no matter what we may be going through, Lord, that we will never, ever lose sight of you, our beautiful Savior. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are with us. Help us to continue to live in such a way where we will continue to bring you all the glory. And would you continue to work powerfully in through us so that people will be able to see a glimpse of your glory and that we will be able to point them ultimately to you so that you may be their beautiful Savior. God, we're so thankful for just being our God. Help us to continue to find you beautiful instead of trying to use you for our own good. God, we are so thankful for this time. And God, we love you. Cannot thank you enough for who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.